Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This crime comes with baggage. I'm Jason Horton. I'm Rebecca Lieb. And this is Ghost Town. Phoenix, Arizona, there's this little gray house that's very unassuming, a little run down, exists between two giant apartment complexes. While physically underwhelming, its reputation is the exact opposite. It's called the murder house or the death house because in 1931, a woman murdered her two friends in a bizarre love tri- love quadrant slash crime of passion, dismembered them, and transported them to beautiful Los Angeles, California. This is the story of Phoenix, Arizona's trunk murderess and her murder house. I have to start by saying that Phoenix in the 1930s was a lot different than it is now. Now I think of Phoenix as kind of big, very suburban, kind of corporate, but also, you know, like beautiful, kind of nature-filled But then it was kind of a, a small, dusty town. It was really feeling the Great Depression. The community was really, really small, and I just want to emphasize that everyone knew each other. Winnie Ruth Judd was a 26-year-old medical secretary who started dating prominent Phoenix businessman and very much a ladies' man named Jack Halloran. No problems there, except that Judd was married. Her husband was in Santa Monica, California, struggling with a morphine addiction, but it didn't seem to matter. Judd and her two best friends, Anne Leroy and Sammy Samuelson, were completely and also obsessed with Halloran. It's complicated. On Friday 16th, 1931, Winnie was at the Gunrow Medical Clinic where she worked as a secretary when Anne Leroy invited her over to her home. Anne said another friend was coming over and they could make a night of playing cards. Winnie declined the invitation, but Anne insisted. Anne Leroy lived with Hedvig Sammy Samuelson in a cottage on the corner of 2nd Street and Catalina Drive in Phoenix. Winnie, Anne, and Sammy had all lived together in the house just a week before, but conflict, namely Jack Halloran, made Winnie move out. At this point, there's a lot of tension and strain between these women. Phoenix historian Scott Coblio explains, Winnie had been writing her husband all week complaining about Anne. She felt like she was going crazy and Anne was making her crazy. So things were not warm and fuzzy between them. One woman had just moved out of this home that they all shared. Tense. So I can only imagine that Anne was trying to smooth things over or trying to mend their friendship somehow. Instead of a rousing game of cards, Winnie decided that she was going to see her boyfriend, Jack, instead. Halloran was, again, a central figure in Winnie's case in her world. He was also that for many other women. He was very popular, not just, again, as a ladies' man, but as a businessman, a central figure in Phoenix society. 
so much so that he was pretty much kind of dating Anne, Sammy, and Winnie. The women were all three financially dependent on him and very possessive of his affection. So he was paying, kind of paying all their bills. They all had jobs, but from my research, he was really helping out their lifestyle. Winnie was the one with whom Jack had the closest relationship, though, at least as far as she knew. Winnie called Jack after work the night he said he'd come over to her apartment around 8 or 9 o'clock. 9 o'clock came and went, and no Jack. Winnie was not happy, so around 10 o'clock, she left her apartment and went to Ann and Sammy's house. They were hanging out. It was going well. Finally, Sammy and Ann said to Winnie, why don't you just stay the night over here? Winnie agreed to stay. It was late after all, and the three got into their pajamas and ate rice pudding. We think pudding details are not totally clear. And they were just talking, kind of having a sleepover. At one point in the night, Anne asked her friend Winnie about a fifth party in this love trapezoid, Lucille Moore. Anne and Sammy had recently seen Jack, Winnie, and Lucille spend time together, and they were not very happy about it. They don't want another love interest in the picture, even if all of them were kind of players in this large game. Well, in any case, what's another love interest for Jack? The complicated part was Lucille was being treated for syphilis. Not so great. So the woman began arguing about Jack, Lucille, and syphilis. Winnie, ever the professional, said she couldn't tell Jack Lucille's medical history, and she thought the two were just friends. Anne and Sammy were not buying this, and Anne threatened to tell Jack about Lucille's syphilis. Winnie was pissed and said if she told about Lucille's syphilis, she'd pair it with another damning accusation, the rumor of Anne and Sammy's lesbianism. Then Winnie got up and took her cup of alleged rice pudding back to the kitchen. She passed a breakfast room, which had a separate doorway that you can enter through the living room. The layout is important. The next events that transpire are all from Winnie's account. So keep this in mind. Sammy came running into the breakfast room with a gun and said, if you tell anything about Anna at the clinic, I'll shoot you sure. It was Winnie's gun, supposedly left behind from when she'd lived there a week before. So Winnie and Sammy start wrestling for the gun. As they wrestled, Anne came running out of the bedroom with an ironing board and started beating Winnie with it. As the iron board assault was happening, Anne shouted, Shoot her, Sammy, shoot. In the struggle for the gun, Winnie got shot in the hand, but Sammy gets shot in the chest. Finding herself in possession of the gun, Winnie turns and shoots Anne. Winnie then gets dressed, runs out of the house, back to her apartment with the intention of calling her husband for help. But before she can, Jack Halloran shows up, wasted. Winnie frantically tells Jack what happened, and then she takes him to the scene of the crime so he can see for himself. Great idea. When they get to the house, the first thing Jack does is turn off all the lights, close the curtains, checks their pulses, and picks up Sammy specifically and puts her on the bed. He seemed much more concerned about her. Jack instructs Winnie not to call anyone, not the cops, not her husband, and leave the whole thing to him. He's going to take care of it. He then told Winnie to get the steamer trunk from the garage. Jack decided to put the bodies in there, and then he'll bring them to the desert. Jack tells Winnie to go to work the next day and act like, I don't know, she didn't just kill her former roommates, and wait for a call. When he does this, her hand's still bandaged from getting shot. Finally, Jack calls, and he tells her that plans have changed. Winnie's going to deliver the trunk to the train station, take the package on the train to L.A., and a guy will meet her there, and then they'll dump the trunk into the ocean. Jack Halloran has to know this horrible plan is really, really horrible, right? But it's hard to say. After work, Winnie goes back to Ann and Sammy's house to take care of the bodies. At one point, a delivery man comes by to grab the trunk sees her in the dark, sweaty, with the trunk, by candlelight, and he informs her that the trunk is over weight limit. So she, flustered by this, tells the delivery service to take the trunk to her apartment. 
Then absentmindedly, Winnie flipped on a light switch. By the way, at this point, Jack is not returning her calls. Back at her place, Winnie dismembers Sammy. Maybe with Jack's help, maybe not. We're not sure where he is at this point. The bodies go into a couple different parcels, a smaller trunk, a suitcase, and a hat box. According to Coblio, Anne got to stay in the big trunk, and Sammy's body was split between the smaller pieces. Any other space was filled with personal letters, evidence that could convict her because she was so confident that everything would be disposed of in its entirety in Los Angeles. Winnie takes the train to Los Angeles a day later than planned. There was nobody waiting for her. There was also an issue with the luggage. It was leaking blood and whatever else. When the officials at the train station asked her for the key to open the luggage in order to examine it, she simply said she didn't have the key and just walked out with nothing, her hand slowly turning gangrenous from the bullet that was still lodged in it. One place she might have frequented was the Lavina Sanitarium in Altadena, where she had been a tuberculosis patient years earlier. She found a vacant cottage there, according to her, and slept for two days. But it wasn't all rotting hands and sleeping. News broke about the three pieces of luggage holding letters and human remains. The LA Times had a piece in Winnie's husband who urged her to call a number and turn herself in. Not sure what to do next, she did just that, and her husband sent a car to grab her and take her to a funeral home, the Alvarez and Moore Funeral Chapel. Winnie was reunited with her husband, William C. Judd, before turning herself into the police. Winnie was also mobbed by photographers leaving the funeral home wearing, and these are incredible photos, a fur coat that she'd stolen from the sanitarium. Pictures of this moment, again, are incredible. She is a beautiful woman. She's very glamorous. She's got this kind of luxe fur coat. It's like Chicago the musical playing itself out on the West Coast. We're going to take a little break, though. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hi, hello, how are you? Hello. Are you well? Are you? Yeah, I think you're, I think you will. You look well. Oh. You look good. I'm not talking you. to you, Rebecca. Thank you, thank you. Hey, no, 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 yes, no, no, Yes, I'll no, take no, that. No, you can't is, take it back. This is for the, this is for the, mm. the, the, the people of Ghost Town. They look, oh. they look good. POGs. They're, they're all P-O-G-T's. tens. Except for one. There's one of you out there is only a nine. It's a up to nine? you. It's up to you to decide uh. which one of you is a nine. <laughs> Talk amongst yourselves about who's the nine in the room. I, I like to do psychological warfare yeah, in the great. audience. That's, it's sometimes. a very helpful thing. Want to say hello to our government. Hello. Want to say hello to a little Ashley Matson. Hello. A little Ben Forsyth. Hello. Little Joshua Lambert. Hello. From their sitcom, The Mayors. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. They all room together. It's on 1130 on TBS <laughs> on Sunday Nighttime, night. So maybe 
But listen, it's television. Mm-hmm. And hello to our esteemed governor, Avian Noble or Avian Noble. Still haven't gotten which is right. Pick, we should pick a way. Yeah. Just what do you think? What are we? What are we going to go it's with? Avian. That avian. Sounds right. good, like an aviary. Yeah. Like a beautiful avian, bird. Yeah. I picture avian as a beautiful bird. Yeah. Are you that? Last name is Noble. So it's that's a beautiful a cool, name. What a great name! I hope we're my name stinks, <laughs> man. I mean, it's just like food, fast food dropping yeah. on the floor. Yeah, that's mine what, is like Old Testament. Old Testament. Yeah. We're done. Yep. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> yes, we get it. You live in Los Angeles, yeah. and we have bonus episodes. We are recording one right now. Mm-hmm. Well, not right now. No, later. There's a new documentary episode out that I put up. We're back to do a. We'll do a duo one soon once mm. we kind of settle on one. Yeah. We got to watch something at the same time. Yeah. So we're going to work on that, but you can get bonus episodes, documentary episodes, early access with none of this chit chat mm. or ads. That's patreon.com slash ghost town pod. We also have this thing called coffee, Kofi, coffee, yeah. where if you just want to like donate like a dollar or whatever it is you want to donate, there'll be a mm. link in the... Uh, the description or the notes, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. It's just, I don't know if it's kofi.com slash ghost town pod. Yeah. But if you, you know, it, it kind of keeps us in uh, either Diet Cokes or Traparacas. Yeah. Oh, keep us in Traparacas, please. I also love it because it's like, it feels a little bit more like cuter than Venmo. Like, not just like, here's some money. It's yeah. Like, it's coffee, a f- cool. Like, okay. It's a fun little thing if you don't want to, you know, commit to the. Uh, you know, if you're kind of like, hey, listen, I'm just, I don't know where I'm going to be mm-hmm. tomorrow. Like, I'm a vagabond. Mm. That coffee might be for you. Yeah. Or you can check out Patreon. Or just listening is also great. Yeah. Also, thank you to the people that have been buying the uh, Cecil Hotel hoodies and, and shirts and, and the other shirts. You know, they go to some of them go to great charities. Some of them go to the charity, which is us. If you get a pick up a Ghost Town shirt, we are, we are a lot. There's a lot happening here that we need money for. But you could. Find that at ghosttownpod.com slash store and also new YouTube video out about me growing up in a haunted house and mm-hmm. it's a little added information. I talked to my mother again. It's kind of freaky. So that's on youtube.com slash Jason Horton or the link is in the show notes or description. And if you want to give it a like or a subscribe or a comment, it helps the algorithm because basically a lot of what these videos are are commercials for Ghost Town. Mm-hmm. And if you're like, how can I help out Ghost Town? I don't want I don't want to give you any help. money, but I want to help. And listening, trust me, is plenty. But if you want to help, you know, showing some love to these YouTube videos is really just telling the algorithm more people should watch this, more people find out about Ghost Town. And it's a really great way to reach a new audience for us. And that really, really helps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And everyone's favorite part. You didn't get it last week. You're getting it this <laughs> week. A little shorty version. I missed it. A little tiny shorty version of this week in Apple Reviews. If you want to leave us an Apple review, you want to rate and review. You can be Apple's. featured if yeah. it's good or bad. Oh, yes. But I mean, obviously, we reward the bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that this podcast life, is rewarding baby. the bad, I guess, I suppose, depending on uh, your point of view. Has improved a great deal. Five stars. Thank you. I'm aghast. I have to admit, I almost gave up on Ghost Town. <laughs> so did we. Trust us. <laughs> After trying to listen to the early episodes, the Janis Joplin episodes are especially painful. Mm. Lots of Jason stammering and no content. And really, there's still a lot of Jason stammering. It's just mm. I've gotten better at editing. Oh. <laughs> so the stammering. The I haven't I haven't looked inward. Oh. I hope you don't think I will I have been mm. doing that. No, no, mm. no, no. Only outwards. Uh their sense of humor is so dry, it's easy to miss some of their jokes. 
the shows are LA centric, and they are some of our. I mean, this one kind of touches on that. But, yeah. You know, those, we have hundreds of episodes, but you'll find quite a few that are not L.A. and plenty that are L.A. Mm-hmm. And uh, it makes me want to revisit the city this time with Rebecca as my guide. Me? Yeah. Jason can stay home. and it's just I'm just going to stay at home stranger. stammering. <laughs> you know, I'll just stammer away. I am uh, available for I, – I used to be a tour guide, so uh, please hit me up. I used to be a nothing, and I still am a nothing. <laughs> Although my, la- my landlord – my landlord – <laughs> uh, I was out, you know, because we kind of share like this courtyard, and uh, I was doing like seven thousand push-ups, or uh, oh, I was yeah? lifting up a car, or something 7, like that. Yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But she was like, "Did you write a book?" And I was like, "Oh yeah." She's like, "Okay, oh, I saw you on TV." She saw the K- KTLA just kind of it was in syndication and just plays about the Caesar Hotel and the uh, the you know the old LA Zoo. Yeah, which both those videos are on my YouTube. You want to check out me on television. Mm-hmm. And she was like, oh, I didn't know someone famous lived here. I was like, mm-hmm. still broke. You'll still get the rent at very last minute. So <laughs> don't get too excited. But I gave her a book. I mean, even when we used to, when anyone used to go out, when you would get recognized from YouTube. From YouTube, yeah. They're it like, was a delight. I used to, when we were on Brain Games, which Rebecca <laughs> yeah. was a producer on, and I was, I was there. Somebody's like, I used to watch you when I was a kid. <laughs> and I was like... Okay, I was like, I I know I'm old and out of touch and irrelevant to the max, but thank you. Um, You're you're a force of nature. You, these people grew up. You were a dad to these poor. I was a dad then, though. That's what I don't understand. I'm a dad then. I must be closer to a grandfather now. Less to show for it, too, by the way. Wow. How about my new podcast binge, Five Stars? Love Ghost Town, Rebecca and Jason are great hosts informative show but still knows how to not take itself too seriously i've paused all of my other podcasts to binge ghost town right from the start you guys keep me coming during lockdown since moving on my own for the first time favorite episodes woodstock 94 99 fun Fun. honestly that's one of my favorite episodes yeah really really fun especially when you're thinking about the idea of festivals Mm because there's so many of them now these pioneers i mean you know Beyond Woodstock and you know, Altamont and some of these older ones, but these ones in the 90s really were kind of redefined in a way, and they're like, it's a mess. Yeah. And a lot of these, I mean, we do two weeks, so a lot of them can be a blur. That one sticks out in my mind because Jason read the the band running order, and it was so funny, and I was just like, is this real? It was – I didn't need to slip in any fakes because yeah. it was uh, – it was it like was Gary's tuba capsule. man and stuff like that. It's, it's like incredible. it's like Blue Turtle going places and stuff <laughs> yeah. like that. And that's not even uh, those. That's what they were. So check yeah. those out. Check those out. Also, uh, the balloon deck chair episode. That one's yeah. It's, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just like these. And, and some of these people were like not. We're celebrating some of this. Yeah. Yes, it didn't go well, but in a way, it's like they achieved something and yeah. took a chance on something that a lot of people haven't. And you, you find out what works and doesn't work, and some mm-hmm. things work in a way. It's like a really interesting. Yeah. You mentioned that documentary episode about the uh, the the Mormon murder one. I was mm-hmm. like, there is a lot of genius in that episode. There's a lot of bad, mm-hmm. but there is some like impressive aspect of it until it becomes not impressive. Yeah, yeah. They had yeah. me laughing out loud with tears in my eyes. Thanks, guys. That was uh, when I would say Hannah four H H four N N four H D thirty three, and I want to say was Gus the Minor Bird. Hmm. So thank you both thank of those. You. Uh, feel free to leave one. We yeah. thank you. I'm gonna re-listen and, to those. Those are great ones. Yeah, those are fun. Yeah, those are, that was those the, a really really fun time. The balloon one was the first Friday one we ever did. I think. I think so. Yeah. 
We should have a trivia a trivia thing where I would fail. Yeah, me too. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but uh, I'm just stammering away. You know what well, I mean? Same. I mean, same. And then you know, it's, it's just work for you. It's just cleanup. I'll just, just play, work for Jason. I just play cleanup. <laughs> Let's get back to Phoenix. Let's get back to the hot, hot heat of the West Coast. So Winnie is arrested. She's taken from the funeral home. She's turned in by herself and her husband. She has just killed two of her friends and roommates. Her trial began on January 19th, 1932 at the Maricopa Courthouse in Phoenix. Initially, she was being tried only for Anne's murder. And if she was found innocent, they'd try her for the death of Sammy. Obviously, it doesn't work that way anymore. Halloran was also present at the trial every day, but never spoke on the record and was never called as a witness. On top of all of this, William Randolph Hearst, yes, the newspaper mogul, got involved and put $20,000 in a defense fund for Winnie so she would get a new lawyer, and she did, and she pleaded insanity and had kind of the best resources around her. It's speculated that Hearst and Winnie had an agreement, her exclusive life story, which she did write for him, in exchange for the money. Plus, of course, Winnie's trial was selling a lot of papers. The press was then taking notes when Winnie had surgery to take the bullet out of her gangrenous hand. And she started speaking in her gas-induced stupor, saying things like, I had to fight them. You'd have fought too. I fought so hard. So this is a woman who's creating great entertainment. Like when you think about sensationalized, you know, murdering people and these larger-than-life cases and people, this is definitely one of them and one that we don't really hear about. On February 8th, 1932, Winnie was found guilty and sentenced to be hanged on February 17th, 1933, Good Friday. But she was not dead yet. She told her lawyers that she wanted to talk, that Jack Halloran had told her to exonerate him. He said that if she agreed, she wouldn't be killed. Jack Halloran was indicted for a preliminary hearing to determine if he should be tried as an accomplice. At the hearing, Winnie spoke at length, famously stating, I'm going to be hanged for something Jack Halloran is responsible for. I was convicted of murder, but I shot in self-defense. Jack Halloran removed every bit of evidence. He is responsible for me going through all this. He is guilty of anything that I am guilty of. The judge and jury agreed that it was not homicide, but self-defense. Halloran got to walk free, but Winnie did not, despite the trial's ruling in her favor. Her death sentence did not change. But in the 11th hour, the sheriff of the jail where she was being held found a really kind of antiquated genius loophole where it says that if he thought that she was insane, if he personally thought she was insane, he can request an insanity hearing for her. So (laughs) this guy was like, I'm going to save you. He does this, uses the loophole, and it works. After that, Winnie writes yet another confession, this one really leaning into the insanity ruling. In it, she tells a drastically different story of going to the house with a gun, how her dependency on the drug Luminol was making her crazy, and that she acted alone. With only hours to spare on the day of her execution, Winnie Ruth Judd was declared insane and sent to Arizona State Hospital, where she could stay with the stipulation that if she was ever to be rehabilitated and found sane, she must be immediately hanged. That's, that's a hard, that's tough. That's a tough one. Winnie lived at the hospital for 40 years, and she did the hair for the women there and was incredibly popular. She also escaped at least six times. I know what you're thinking, six times. That's a woman who's pretty good at escaping. Not really. Winnie was so popular and so beloved by this hospital and so well-liked that the nurses gave her a key to the front door of the hospital. And then she would escape, and she'd be put back, and they'd never change the locks. Between her escapes, it became fashionable for society people to go have their hair done by Winnie at the state hospital. 
The longest of her escapes lasted six years. Yes, six years. Winnie left the hospital and became the nurse to a wealthy woman in California who came to really love her and depend on her and willed her a huge sum of money, as well as a house on her property upon her death. Unfortunately, Winnie's nephew blackmailed her, threatening to turn her in if she didn't give him her paycheck, and he did eventually turn her in. The police arrived at the lady's house to take Winnie away and back to the hospital she went. In 1971, lawyers Larry DeBus and Melvin Belli worked together to get Winnie paroled. After over 40 years, they did it. They succeeded and she was free. She moved to Stockton, California, where she died on October 23, 1998, at the age of 93, 67 years to the day from her surrender to the LAPD in 1931. Halloran, if you need an update on him, well, he fell out of favor very shortly after the trial and not didn't last long. He lost his business, associates, and social status and died in Tucson in 1939. But of course, the case leaves a lot of questions as to who really helped and who was really involved in the double murder. Investigative journalist Jana Bombersbach re-examined Judd's case for a series of articles in the Phoenix New Times and her book, The Trunk Murderess, Winnie Ruth Judd, suggesting she was innocent. According to Bombersbach, members of the Phoenix police knew Halloran well and Judd was covering up for him and maybe, and maybe other people. According to Bombersbach, there were indications that Judd was not capable of dismembering Samuelson's body, a task that, according to the autopsy photos, was performed with fairly advanced surgical skills. Also, Bombersbach wondered if Judd was even physically capable of lifting the bodies and transporting them. Bombersbach also suggested that a second gun might have been involved, based on the early newspaper reports that Leroy was shot with a larger caliber bullet. Bombersbach wrote about a nurse named Ann Miller, who said that when she was working at the Arizona State Hospital in 1936, Judd had confided to her that a Dr. Brown had come to see her while she was in prison and told her he was going to confess everything. Later, after Miller told a Phoenix attorney of Judd's story, he stated, I'm sure she told you that. Dr. Brown came up to my office and wanted to tell the whole story. He made an appointment for the next week, but he died the day before the appointment. Brown did die in June 1932 of heart disease at 44. Bombersbach's objectivity may be in question, though, because she got really, really close to Judd when she was writing all these things, so much so that people suspected that she was really covering for her. In 2014, a confession letter was found, written in April 1933 by Judd to her attorney, H.G. Richardson, raising new questions about her case. In the letter, which Judd called her first and only confession, she stated that she alone planned and carried out the murder of Leroy, with whom she was allegedly competing for Halloran's affections. She further stated that she had not planned to kill Samuelson, but had to. Judd wrote that she'd also acted alone in handling and transporting the bodies. According to a New Times article, Richardson suppressed the letter because it contradicted the appeal he had just filed in her case. After Richardson's death, Judd wrote to his widow repeatedly asking for the letter, scared it would jeopardize her potential release from Arizona State Hospital, but his widow refused. In 2002, a few years after Judd's death, the letter was anonymously donated to the Arizona State Archives. Those who have studied or been involved in the Judd case differ in their interpretation of the letter. While some think it's a true confession, it could have also been an attempt by Judd to bolster her insanity defense, which she loved to do, clear Halloran, or even incriminate him by admitting to a crime which she could then be named as an accessory. So it's really hard to say, and there's no real clear answer to it, but it is an incredibly compelling case that is not talked about as much anymore or even compared to other like kind of high profile, you know, love triangle cases. What's your take on it? I think he was involved in it, but I also think that she 
did it and she wanted to do it. And and maybe there was some luminol. Like you think about stuff like this and you think of like a crime of passion. This woman, you know, her husband's away. He's an addict. She has a couple friends. Everyone's dating her boyfriend. Maybe she's in love with him. Things get heated. Who knows? She gets, you know, really volatile and there's a gun. So I think she was probably pretty mentally unstable. I don't, I don't know if I would say she was insane, but I can see there being more at play than anyone's willing to admit, AKA like drugs. The details of this case make it seem like it could be something that happened in the last 15 years. Yeah. It has a very modern feel to it. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of think back to the 1930, you know, we're getting, in, you know, post stock market crash, pre great depression, mm-hmm. which is probably an interesting time in America. Yeah. Especially, and especially even out West. And I don't know if it's just it, like, there's, you know, there's a bit of d- depression going around or there's just a, a, a People are at their most extreme, maybe. It's possible that it kind of could bring that out. But what an interesting, even though she got the raw end of the deal. Definitely. But went on to live a long and what I assume is at least very interesting life where Mm -hmm. she was somebody that people wanted to be around. Mm -hmm. Whereas Halloran, people were like, we don't want to be, you know, you. Yeah. It's like kind of failing upward a little bit. I mean, just the, and he's succeeded downward. Yeah. I guess it really depends on if you feel like, well, my name is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Or is it, you know, like you said, like if you, you know, if she did do it, like, I mean, yeah. she's not really worried about like her, her good name. Totally. You know, and it's, it's hard to say. And I also want to emphasize too, that she seemed really intelligent. Like, I don't think you can be as charismatic as what I've read about her without having intelligence, without kind of having uh, the bigger picture in mind too, in a lot of ways. Um, You know, she had a clerical job where she had to stay super organized. I, yeah, I mean, I wish that Halloran kind of got roped in. I'm, you know, I'm glad that he kind of had a, Miserable yeah, end, probably. I'm sure. End, and she and she gets to kind of live larger than life. But yeah, it's it's really it's sad. It's again a very sexist circumstances around this. But she did. She got saved by her charisma. Her intelligence saved her. You know, from hanging, and she had to go to the hospital. But what a life, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, way women are. Oh well, this woman has to be hysterical. She mm-hmm. is. You know, it's she's. Can't handle her emotions, so mm-hmm. it makes a lot of sense without really thinking about you know much else. Yeah. No, I was talking about you, Rebecca. I was saying you, you, or you. That is, I'm talking about you. I'm sorry, I'm just daydreaming about my man. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. 
Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.